Welcome to the Orange Crest Community Church Podcast. Our hope is that this weekly podcast provides both encouragement and challenge as you move forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. Let's pray this morning again. Father, thank you for this time and just thank you for each person here. Every single person here matters to you and and God, uh, we, we really desire to as a church, be used by you to help all people to come to know Jesus Christ and become fully devoted followers of him. And so, Lord, that's our mission. That's our desire uh, here this morning even. And so, God, as we look into your word, I pray that you would uh, bring clarity to us, each one of us. Lord, help us to have insights and then understanding that would lead to change in each one of us. God, we ask you for application and points that you want to just draw out to really Focus us, God, as we do our lives. We pray that and ask that for your help right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week we launched into this series called Identity. And I invite you to take out this listening guide in your program. And we, we walked through last week how the Bible shows our primary identity. And so just by way of review, these are at the top of your listening guides are up here on the screen. We looked at this issue last week. Our primary identity is this. It's it's who you are at the core of your being as assigned by God. That's your primary identity. And who you are at the core of your being as assigned by God, who is our creator. We showed last week how understanding and accepting this, it really provides a solid foundation. And so we started by looking at the, the introduction to the New Testament book, called First Peter. It's one of the last books in the New Testament in the Bible. And we highlighted a description that Peter gives about who Christ's followers are. He, he describes us as elect exiles. And an elect exile is that if you're a Christ follower, that's your, that's your primary identity. What that means, to be elect, means you've been chosen by God. He has, elect, he has elected you. He, he, loves, he loves us. He's, it's that he has called us to respond and to relate personally to him. You, you've, you've been elected in a sense. And you're in exile. What that means is an exile is this is not our home. You're, you're in exile here on earth. This is a temporary living place for you. Heaven, if you're a Christ follower, heaven is your home. But God has a purpose for you as a Christ follower here and now. And so you could check out that message. Last week is a very important kind of foundational message for this series that we're in. So if you did miss it, I, I'd invite you to check that out on our website. But beyond our primary identity, we also have a secondary identity. We, we looked at this last week as well. Our secondary identity is, is based on the roles and based on the labels that, that we have chosen or that have been given to us. And so secondary identity issues are things like roles you play. Like if you're a father or a mother, that's a secondary identity role. Or a son, a daughter, Secondary identity roles. It's a role you play. Or a parent. Or, or what you do for work. If you're in business and you, you, uh, you have a certain title in business, that's a secondary identity role. Or if, you're, if you have a hobby or a sport that you would say, this is really important to you, you know, that's a secondary identity. Maybe you excel in, in, in athletics. Or maybe you stand for a certain cause in our world and you're trying to promote that cause. Or, or maybe you've experienced or you've been given a, a medical diagnosis or a mental diagnosis. All of those types of roles and labels are are part of this category of secondary identity. And last week we we talked about how whenever we push 
our secondary identity and push it and make it become our primary identity. And we say, this is who I am. Like maybe a, a Christian athlete who, who pushes athlete above all things and says, this is who I am. Or, or anything, an activist who pushes that above and says, this is my core, my primary identity. Whenever you do that, then that really disrupts the foundation of our life. Things really begin to crumble. Trouble begins to erupt. And so practically speaking, whenever we push secondary above prime and make that primary, we start getting confused. We start getting frustrated. We get disappointed. And so does everyone else attached to us whenever we do that. And so now we do this. Have you, have you mixed these up? I have. I've pushed secondary identity things way too far at points. I get two examples from my own life, and I want you to think, as I share mine, think about how this maybe looks in your own life. So I most often do this probably in my job and then in my family role. So first off, in my job, I'm a, I'm a pastor, in case you didn't know that. I, that's, this is my job. This is, this is a role I play, right? It's a role I play. As a teenager, I thought I was going to be an architect, but then God, when I was 18, redirected my life, and from, from 18 on, things really changed, and so I began training towards ministry and life in ministry and all through my 20s I was I was focused on that and training and then eventually entered into that as a role you, you might call that as a career um, but I've been doing this full-time for 14 years and it's just a role it's, it's a role I play it's not who I am at the core of my being uh, it's a role I play here on earth right I mean with within the body of Christ this is the role I play if you're in the body of Christ you play a role Within the body of Christ, this is the role I happen to play. The moment I leave planet Earth, I leave this role behind. I don't, I don't arrive into heaven and it's like, Pastor Josh is here, everyone. Let's hear it for Pastor Josh. No, I'm a Christ follower. No one's going to be calling me Pastor Josh in heaven. No one calls me Pastor Josh on Earth either, right? I mean, <laughs> most people just call me Josh. And that's, I've been okay with that. I'm really okay with that. And my, my primary identity is the same as every other Christ follower. I'm... You know, like this passage says in Peter, First Peter 1, elect exile. I have that same primary identity. But there's been times, if I'm honest, that I've elevated that secondary identity role. And the problem with that for me is when things are going really well, if I attach my, if I push too hard on this area of secondary identity and I attach my emotions to this role that I play, I run into, I run into trouble as a pastor here in this church. Because depending on how I'm feeling about my role or how church is going, I might Take that the wrong way if my emotions are attached to this. I remember especially when, when guests would come visit our church, especially when we were starting. If someone was coming to visit and I knew they were coming, I would get really worked up over what the experience was going to be like for them. Because it felt like if it went well, then I, that reflected on me. If it didn't go well, it reflected on me. So I would sometimes walk the special guests around. And I would explain things, make sure they have a great time. And, and if I noticed that the crowd was, was thin... I would feel the need to explain to them why I think that was. You know, like, oh, it's, it's uh, this weekend, or there's this and that going on. And, and I would see empty spaces, and I would feel the need to explain why. And I remember one time, one of those men, one of my mentors, our attendance was lower at that point, and, he, he, and I, was, I went into my routine of telling him why I thought the attendance was lower, and he kind of cut me off, and he said, you know what, Josh? Everyone who's here matters to God. So don't focus on those who aren't here today. Focus on the people that got up and came to church today because they're here, and they're the ones that matter. You know, they, these folks 
right before you matter to God. Because what he was trying to get at is, this is just a role you play, Josh. Don't, don't push this too far. This is not who you are in the sense of core identity, primary identity. But what, what a struggle. Think about your own life and how maybe you push too hard on things and attach emotions to the roles you play. I also struggle with this in family life. I mean, family is an important thing. It's definitely a priority, but it's not good to make your family role your number one kind of primary identity. When my sons began to play sports, I noticed this was an explosive combination of of kind of family and sports interests for me because I enjoyed playing sports, especially when I was a teenager. I just loved sports, and a major part of my identity was wrapped around sports. I loved any accomplishment. I loved the trophies, the jacket, the patches. In fact, I've kept all that stuff. The reason I know it's still pretty important is because I have boxes in my garage of a couple of memory tubs, I guess you'd call them, you know, and, and I don't like that word memory tub, but I don't know what else to call it, you know. And occasionally when I'm, like, cleaning out my garage, we stumble upon those tubs, and it's like, it's like the question comes up, you going to keep these? I'm like, well, yeah. <laughs> what do you want me to do? Well, you know, they, they kind of they take up room, don't they? You know, and, and I still kind of get worked up when someone suggests I should get rid of those or thin those boxes out because, well, why? Well, there's the struggle here, secondary identity. I'm pushing that too far. And I can keep that identity struggle buried in boxes in the garage, but it shows up. Because it, once I get on a field and I start competing, the comp, the competitive drive and, and I don't like losing. And some of you guys can probably, and, and gals can probably understand that. You don't like losing because deep down maybe you're pushing athlete a little too far. Maybe that's becoming primary. And I've seen this crop up as, as a father when I'm sitting there watching my kids compete. The problems show up for me when I'm sitting on the edge of a wrestling mat and I get way too into the matches. And I'm excited, let's just say. I'm excited. And I've had to ask my son's forgiveness for for my attitude on multiple occasions now what should have been kind of an enjoyable pastime for me watching my sons compete has really instead at points twisted me up in knots because of this issue that i'm talking about that's if i'm honest that's me and this is how we battle constantly we want to push these issues too far and so today what we're going to do is we're going to discover more about our primary identity we'll dig deeper into what this means to be an elect exile because if we keep coming back to who we are before God and grow in our understanding of that from his angle, we can really thrive in life. So this morning, at, in the middle of your listening guide, you'll, after that passage there, you'll notice this line. Our identity reveals the inheritance that we're destined to receive. Here's more on identity. This is from 1 Peter chapter 1, now 3 through 9 we're going to go through. But let's look at 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy... He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, I'd like to explain what this passage says about our identity and specifically our inheritance. Because this is where Peter begins to flesh out more of who we are. Verse 3, it says this, that we are born again into God's family. Now, the phrase born again that's used here in the Greek 
It's only used, this word in the Greek is only used twice in the New Testament. Both of those times are found here in 1 Peter 1. Now there's, there's another place where this idea shows up, and it's in John chapter 3. Uh, John chapter 3, it's, it's the biography of the life of Jesus. And one of the encounters that Jesus has, it brings up this issue of born again. And if you've heard about Christianity and Christians, sometimes they're referred to as born again Christians. And so... What does this mean? Well, Jesus, he was interacting with a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a a Jewish religious leader, uh, part of a group called the Pharisees, really legalistic group. And this man, Nicodemus, grew very curious about Jesus, but he didn't want others to know just how curious he was. He wanted to process who Jesus was, was without people knowing. And so he went to Jesus at night so that his kind of interaction could be hidden from his friends. And Peter, he's kind of, Peter knows about Jesus' interaction with Nicodemus. And so this is, this is being drawn really from the conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus. Jesus told Nicodemus, this man, you must be born again. This is, you must be reborn spiritually. And if you, if you haven't ever given your life to follow Jesus Christ, then this series for us is giving you another opportunity to really consider that. When you're born again, this is you being brought into God's family. He's chosen to welcome you into his family. You are elect, in a sense. You've, cho- you've been chosen by God. And then what happens is he puts, for those who choose to follow him and invite Jesus to be the Lord, he puts his spirit inside of you. He lives in you through his spirit. This brings his power into your life to really, so you can pull off the many roles that he wants you to play. Like those secondary identity roles, God's spirit is the one that gives you the power to pull those off in the right way. So if you're here and, and you're not yet a Christ follower, but you've gotten to know some Christ followers, and you, you might look at their life and say, you know, they're, they're a good father, or they're a good mother, or, or, or maybe, wow, they really handle their, their life or their, their work or their finances, and they just they handle decisions differently. Don't confuse that. What you're, what you're observing is the rebirth. You're, you're, you're seeing someone who's been reborn, and then you're seeing someone who's, who has the Spirit of God bringing the change from the inside. So don't confuse that and say, they're just good people. Wow, you've got to come around this group of people. They're just really good people. No, it's not that. You're, you're observing someone who's been reborn and whose spirit, who, who God's Spirit is changing. And God's bringing change from the inside, and he's working it out. And if you're at a point where you're looking for change or you're needing change, then consider making a commitment to follow Jesus Christ because he is the only one that can bring real and lasting change to us. But, but when you're born physically, when you arrive on planet Earth, there was, there was nothing you did to make that happen, right? It, it all just happening to us because of the way that God has made it to be. And it's the same way with our spiritual birth. God is the one that does all the work. He's the one that does all the work. The Bible says that he, he, he calls us to himself, and then we, we come to a decision point, and, and our part is to repent, essentially to stop going our own way in life, which we all natively go our own way in life. It's our default. default. We go our own way. We stop going that way, and we, if you become a Christian, you repent. You turn away from doing life your own way, and you, you do a 180, and you start going God's way. And you believe, meaning you entrust your entire life to him. All we have and all we are to him. You trust him. 
with your life. And we can't skip over this step of being born again and still receive the blessings of being a child of God, which is why Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. This is not an option. You can't skip over it. Peter brings this up. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's, that's very important that you understand that. If you've never been born again, we want to help you with that. Once we're born again into God's family, then, this next point here, we receive an indestructible inheritance. Verses 4 and 5. There's a spiritual inheritance waiting for us in eternity. Now imagine how your attitude or, or your approach to life would change if you knew for certain that you were going to receive a, a, a huge financial inheritance 10 years from today. Imagine how your life would change. 10 years from today, so 20, 28, you're going to receive just a huge financial inheritance. And think about how that would change your life. Some of you are like, mm, how nice would that be? You know, you're, what, what, would you, what would you do differently? How would you look at life differently? Think about how that would really impact you. In a similar way, our spiritual inheritance in heaven can strengthen our lives today. We, we need to look at life differently if we really understand and grasp our spiritual inheritance. If I know it's going to be okay in the future, then I'm not tied to the circumstances I'm dealing with the very same way. If I know something different is coming. Verse 4 says about our spiritual inheritance that it's this. It's imperishable, which means it will not rust. It won't lose its value in any way. It's undefiled. It will not spoil. And it's unfading. Some of my favorite purchases fade in color. It's so it's irritating. You know? They're getting worn down. And I look at, you know, the shine is gone from the truck. The color's fading. The sun's beating down on it. And it's like, you know, it's, it's things of this earth really fade. Well, look at what it says about your future inheritance if you're a Christ follower. The prize of heaven that God is saving for us, it is secure, it's certain. And so our future reward motivates us to please God today. And we're going to look at this idea more next week, but I wanted to at least... Raise this question. We'll talk more about how it motivates us to please God today. But this is true. If you keep an eye on heaven and keep an eye on the fact that you're heading to experience a future inheritance, that really does change the way we look at it. And this is one of the benefits of digging into the Bible here and now. We can live this life with a very different perspective. Now, being born into, into God's family, born again, and then learning that my position, that my standing before God in his family isn't dependent on me, it's really reassuring. The fact that our spiritual inheritance is, you know, it's imperishable and defiled, it's, it's unfading, that's some of the best news to keep lodged into our minds because we quickly forget that and we then struggle with pushing secondary identity issues way too far. But the reality is there's nothing like our spiritual inheritance on the earth. There's nothing like that here. For example, how many of you, by show of hands, how many of you have an unfading physical body got one in the back he got his hand down before anybody knew who it was <laughs> I'm, I'm certainly not getting any younger I'm, and and some people just can't deal with that you know this is grandpa muscles one of my mentors showed this picture one time and i thought that's that's great grandpa muscles in his 80s now think of all the time and energy 
spent grasping for youth to look like that. But it just keeps fading. It just keeps fading. Or, or maybe not your physical body. How many of you have a rock-solid financial future? Show of hands. I always hear, you've you got to buy gold. You see the gold commercials? Buy gold. Buy gold or no, buy silver now. You should buy silver now because if, don't forget about silver. If you can't, yeah, if you can't afford the gold, buy the silver. <laughs> I've been using an app. It's called Acorns. Has anybody seen this app before? That, that, it takes all my spare change and invests it. It's like the spare change drawer, but it puts it in the stock market. So, you know, those of you that have a jar and you put your coins in the – if you're not using, you know, bills anymore and you just swipe your debit card or whatever, this you can attach your debit card and it will round it up to the nearest dollar. And every time you get $5 worth, it will deposit it into the stock market for you. So someone told me about this. I thought, oh, I'm going to give that a shot, you know. And so this is, you know, my breakthrough into the stock market, right? And so – and you can you can set your your risk level. You can be conservative, moderate, aggressive, and I've I've kept mine kind of in the moderate range currently. And I've only been using it for like I think six weeks now. But I've been having fun with the app so far. I've lost like four dollars, I think. But <laughs> but that's okay. I'm not I'm not putting all my acorns in the basket because I know the stock market is volatile. And some world event could strike, which in a moment, it could just impact everything I put in there. So though my account shows I think I have $100, because that's how much it rounds up, you know, through about six weeks, is over $100 of, of roundups have gone on. Well, you know, it's still, I look at the value, and it's like, well, it's down $4 or something. But honestly, some event could change everything, and before I know it, all of it could really be gone. No matter how conservative or diverse your, your financial portfolio is, it's just not indestructible. Just think of the devastation of the, of the Great Recession. I mean, just what, less than 10 years ago, you know, some of you have experienced that. You saw the downturn. Some of your parents saw the downturn in our economy. Some people haven't yet recovered from that. But with our finances, with our bodies... It, it, it's not indestructible. So big question for us, what, what are you putting your hope in? What is your hope in? Emotionally, if your hope is tied to something here on earth, then buckle up and you better strap on the shoulder harnesses because it's going to be a roller coaster ride here on earth. And that's why it's so critical that we keep our spiritual inheritance in full view. We have to keep an eye on our future spiritual inheritance. And thankfully, we discover our inheritance on the front end. That's, that's what's so important about the Bible is that God clues us into our spiritual inheritance on the front end. God has revealed it to us in his word. And so we don't have to lose sight of that. That can strengthen us, which is really the second aspect of this passage in First Peter. Look at verses 6 through 9. Peter writes, after he talks about what's coming, he says, in this you rejoice. You've got this inheritance. You're born again. You've got this inheritance. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary... You have been grieved by various trials. And he starts breaking into this theme of joy. Rejoice. Verse 7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith 
the salvation of your souls. He uses words like rejoice and praise and inexpressible joy regarding this life. Our, our identity instructs us, like who we are and where we're headed instructs us on how to respond to trials, even grief here and now, which seems backwards, doesn't it? But Peter says that even grief, which all sorts of us experience grief in this life, and grief comes from loss, from tragedy, from hurt, from failure. Look at this phrase in verse 6. He says, though now, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. What Peter most likely has in his mind here is the persecution that Christians were walking through in the first century under Nero at this point. So Christians were being were suffering for their faith, and so many of them, there was grief, there was trials. It's, very, it's a different experience of grief than maybe some of what you're going through right now. But there's, but still, it's, it's grief. But Peter's saying, though now for a little while. This is not forever, he's telling the Christians who are suffering. And if you're in grief or you're in trials right now, it's not forever, is what Peter would remind us of. It's not forever. This grief and these trials is an inescapable part of life here on earth. Now, once sin entered the world, this life is marked with grief. But this life on earth is not the end. Peter's saying if you're in Christ, then you have a living hope. This isn't the end. And in that way, even our grief has a purpose with God. He's refining us just as gold is refined, Peter says, as refined under the heat of fire. God is refining us through the struggles of this life. And he's preparing us now for the joys of eternity in the next life. But if we lose sight of eternity... We forget about our primary identity, and we mix these things up. Then we crumble under the weight of our grief and and under the struggle of our trials. It doesn't mean you shouldn't grieve. Peter actually, he's not saying don't grieve. He's just saying that our grief is and our trials are part of what leads us through God's refining purposes in life. It's creating within you a longing for heaven. And when we're there, verse 7 says, will praise and will glory and will honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God will bring all things together. We'll see things as they really are and see him for who he is fully. And I wish I had an answer to all the pain that I faced in my life or the pain you've faced in your life. But I just I know God won't waste that pain. And I trust that I'll understand and we'll understand all the whys in eternity if we really need to. But here and now, we'll grow, we'll grow stronger in the face of trials if we continue to just grow in our love for Christ. And so Peter just keeps, he keeps putting this out there. Keep your eyes on Jesus and on what, and, and what will be revealed. So verse 8 and verse 9, though you've not seen him, he says, you love him. Though you don't now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of of your faith, it's the salvation of your souls. So we can't see Christ, we can't see him, but we believe. This is the Christian life. We can't see him. We live, we walk by faith, not by sight. We can't see him, but we believe in him. The Greek word for, for belief, it's to put my trust in him, to put your trust in him. It's, it's like this. Imagine getting into a wheelbarrow. Here's a picture of a, of a tightrope walker from 1893, crossing Niagara Falls. Now imagine getting into the wheelbarrow, saying, hey, I'm a professional, trust me, hop on in. I mean, would you, would you take that ride? This seems crazy, right? Total reliance. This is total reliance. 
To trust in Jesus and believe in this way is to trust him with your life, to, to rest your confidence in him. Now, this doesn't mean that there's no risk, and that's why it's described as faith. It's faith. There, you have to trust him. You have to actually put your life in his hands. And it's faith in Jesus. It's not faith in, in the church. It's not faith in the community. It's faith in Christ alone to save you and to lead you through this life. God can use the church. He can use the community, but it's faith in Christ alone. And some of you here may have never done that before. And so we'd love to help you understand what that would mean. And we'd love to just be really, uh, to just offer up, we'd love to have a dialogue with you about that. Or if you know, if you were brought by someone, then ask them more about that. On the back of your connection card is a box that says, I'd like more info about following Jesus. If you've never done that before, you could check that box. We'll send you some information, and then we'll follow up with you if you'd like to learn more about that. But this is a major life shift. Essentially, you stop trying to put life together on your own terms because you realize my way of life is not working all that well. It keeps leading me to dead ends, and it, it keeps me in a constant state of uncertainty. I'm not really sure where I stand in life and with God. The Bible says that everyone, all people, have gone their own way in life. They're like wandering like a sh- well, like sheep without a shepherd. And so a Christian is someone who stops wandering, and they decide to repent of that, turn towards, do a 180, and turn towards God. God himself became a man in the person of Jesus Christ. He took on flesh. He lived a perfect life. And then he did what none of us could do. He offered up his life, and he died in our place, and he rose again, conquering the grave, paying for our sin, providing forgiveness for us. Jesus was the ultimate, once and for all, sacrifice for the sin of the whole world. And if you trust in him, meaning if you put your full confidence in him, shifting from going your way, you shift to going, living life his way, then he changes you from the inside out. He puts his spirit in you and he begins to work changes in you. And we can grieve differently. We can live differently. He gives us hope. He holds us together through the trials and through the pain. And it's through them that he's actually refining us, we find out. And he's leading us through this life. In verse 9 it says, so that we would obtain the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls, our, our ultimate spiritual inheritance. If you've already become a Christ follower, then here's what that looks like here and now for you. It's you walk with him daily. If you're a Christ follower, this is who you are. You, you belong to him. You walk with him daily because it's personal, meaning We build and we grow a personal daily time of fellowship with Christ himself. So get personal regularly with him. Talk to him. We get into the scripture for ourselves. We wrestle with God's truth and we we get clearer on our identity for ourselves. We don't just, I mean, this is good to be here, but this is just once a week. And imagine just eating a a physical meal. Imagine just eating once a week. How famished you would be. How hungry you would be. Spiritually, a lot of people try to pull that off. Like They go to church. And that's like eating a meal once a week. And, and then they're just drying up. They're starving. And so when we get into Scripture for ourselves, we align with His ways. We realize there's a divergence here. Like I'm going this way, and I get into God's Word, and I see He's going this way. And it's in those moments when we recognize, I've already decided I'm with Him. I'm going his way. And so even though it's hard, I'm, uh, I'm forcing my will to obey Christ. 
and to line up. And what happens is, as we relate to him personally, you know, we have good days and bad days, and some days we go his way, and sometimes we take matters in our own hands and we go a different way. And we, you know, but as we continue to move towards Christ, he transforms us day by day, giving us great cause for living and for rejoicing. There's joy even in the trials, which is what Peter keeps coming back to. The circumstances of the Christians in those days was very, very hostile. You need to understand but they could keep an eye on things and keep things in perspective because they understood their identity and the inheritance that was soon coming. And for many of them, it, it, their lives were, some would say, well, their lives were cut short, but they experienced their future inheritance and uh, the pains of this life were then gone. I want to invite our worship team to come back up to the stage and invite you to consider taking a next step this morning and really getting, maybe jot down, what, what is it God is saying to you and how should you respond? Here's a few suggested next steps. For the first time, accept Jesus as my Savior and make him my Lord. If you're at a point where you're ready to make that decision, you can let us know. Again, I, I'd like more info about following Jesus. On the back of this card, we'll follow up with you. If you'd like to talk to someone about that, just come stop by our, our guest information table and just say, hey, I'd like to talk more about becoming a Christian, what that, what that means, how to do that. We'd love to share with you more. Right after service. Another thing here is ask God to help you respond to a trial with joy. Maybe that's something you recognize God wants you to focus in on this week. And then finally, spend time growing my love for Christ by reading his word. I just, I'd suggest start by reading First Peter. Start at the beginning of First Peter and read these chapters, and it will make even more sense as we're going through this each week in this series. So let, let's pray as we wrap up. Father, we... We're grateful for this time, thankful for the ways that you, through your word, speak to us, Lord. Sometimes we read the Bible and we, it's like there's no one else around. It's like you really are able to pierce through to what we need to hear, and we encounter you through your word. And so, Father, I pray that you would continue to bring clarity to these things. For those that are here that are, would say, I'm, I'm far from God. Lord, I pray you would remove um, anything that is blocking or distracting or blinding people from seeing the truth and responding to it. I pray you'd break anything down, whether it be pride or just barriers. Lord, I pray you'd break them in the name of Jesus Christ and bring people to a point of, of change and repentance, Lord, so they might experience the full and eternal life that you are offering to us. Lord, for those of us that do know you, I pray that we would keep wrestling through understanding our primary identity, that you'd show us more and more of who you are as we get into your word for ourselves, and that we keep lining up ourselves with the way you've made life to work. We need your help and your power to do this. We ask you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray you've been encouraged by the message and equipped to move forward in obedience to God's word. Join us again next week for another Orange Crest Community Church podcast.